Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Well, you're going to hear a great story from Sam Gagne in a few minutes. Sam Gagne, one of several former Edmonton Oilers today speaking about Joey Moss who we lost on Monday of course a lot of talk on this show over the last couple of days remembering Joey's life talking about his legacy Sam Gagne was on a zoom call today and a one-of-a-kind story about Joey and his passion for wrestling and uh, Sam and some other players getting involved in that so we're going to have that coming up in a couple of minutes of course happy to hear from you as well 780-496-0063 is the number to both call and text now i can tell you that the american hockey league the top minor league affiliate for the nhl is looking to start its season in february on february 5th that's what the american hockey league says today and they say they're doing this in hopes of syncing up its schedule as close as possible with the National Hockey League. Scott Housen, the former Oilers executive, now the president of the AHL, said this, the NHL there at some time in January, we aren't tied directly to what the NHL does, but we want to be somewhat in sync. So February 5th seemed like a good place, even if they're going to be a little longer than usual between the two leagues starting. So uh, that's where we're at with the American Hockey League. Of course, we every league is looking at what, every other league is doing in terms of starting a season or the teams or the leagues that have had to, or or have already finished their season or might be in progress like the NFL. Everybody's paying attention to everybody else. The ECHL has announced uh, it announced early this month that it's going to start on December 11th. A couple teams have opted out of the season and the ECHL is doing what I've been speculating. Maybe the NHL is going to do if it plays that it'll put out part of its schedule, play some games, and then put out the schedule for the rest of the season. So just something to keep in mind. should also mention, and I was was, uh, going to talk about this a little bit more on on Monday. We had some stuff lined up for this, but of course, uh, remembering Joey Moss took over. But the Alberta Junior Hockey League, and I wrote a story on 630chat.com, globalnews.ca, you can check out, and we will keep following this here as we move through this week and next. The Alberta Junior Hockey League, It could start as soon as November 13th. Of course, everything's an if. They they were hoping to have uh, up to 100 fans in, in the arenas for the Alberta Junior Hockey League, which they have for the exhibition games. What's been happening in the AJHL so far is one team has been paired off with another and they've been playing exhibition games. Teams have played five or six exhibition games except against another team. Spruce Grove was playing Drayton Valley. Sherwood Park was playing Lloyd Minster and and on and on. They went throughout the league. They were expanding the cohort. So instead of a cohort of 50, you could have a cohort of 150. So the Alberta Junior Hockey League could then say, okay, Sherwood Park, you just don't have to play Lloyd all the time. Over a two-week span, you could play maybe Lloyd, Spruce Grove, Camrose, and Fort McMurray, just to pick some other teams. Do that for two weeks, You take then you take a week off, and then you move into a new cohort of teams and, and play them. Now, 
this is a big if a lot has changed in the province over the last week with uh, with the tests and all the positive cases so that is something else though to keep in mind the alberta junior hockey league if if everything goes okay could get starting really soon the, the teams are ready to go they they would have to make some travel adjustments probably going into a, another city if it's a longer trip and staying there for three or four days playing two or three games so there are plans being made the american hockey league saying february 5th echl trying to start in about a month and a half and the alberta junior hockey league maybe maybe really in two weeks november 13th isn't that far away so just something to keep in mind but anytime i talk to somebody about this or anything in uh you know, that's trying to schedule sports in this COVID time subject to change subject to health conditions uh, health decisions political decisions and the comfort level of the teams coaches and athletes involved so just something to to keep in mind and a story that we we will keep following here as we move along how about that, uh, the baseball game? The, the Dodgers win the World Series, first time since 1988. That was, the, uh, that was the last time they won. That was the year Kirk Gibson hit that famous home run off Dennis Eckersley in game one and hobbled around the bases. He was injured. So the Dodgers, who've been a really good team for the last several years, finally win it. And this has uh, now become a much-discussed game because Justin Turner, playing for the Dodgers, gets pulled out of the game in the eighth inning. Oh, hey, by the way, buddy, you got COVID. You shouldn't be hanging around with other people. So he gets pulled out of the game, and then the Dodgers win, and then he goes back out there, and he's celebrating. So apparently, uh, Major League Baseball, through the commissioner's office, beginning a full investigation into Turner's actions following the conclusion of the World Series. And then you have the other storyline, more related to the actual gameplay and the managing, that Blake Snell, who's having a great outing for the Rays, gets pulled after allowing only two hits and having nine strikeouts through five and a third. Analytics, big in baseball, and the Rays really probably using it more than any other team. Pat Donovan from WDAE in Tampa was on uh, the show last week, and he talked about how they use the opener, often starting the game with a reliever, and other teams do that too, but Tampa Bay's kind of been on the leading edge of this. So they say, uh, no, you faced enough guys. We're not going to put you through an order the through th- through the order the third time, even though you're pitching great. And they go on to lose the game. Now they only scored one run, so the offense had to do more. But a very interesting managerial decision. We'll discuss those storylines with uh, Jamie Campbell, Blue Jays Central on Sportsnet, as we move along tonight. Okay, we got to get to some more memories of uh, of Joey Moss. And, and man, I, I got to tell you. It is, it's quite frankly been an honor. It's, it's a painful time. It's, it's a sad time to say goodbye to Joey, but it's also been an honor to bring you so many stories about Joey and that many of you have shared stories about Joey, either just how much you enjoyed uh, seeing his passion or maybe you got to meet him or get a picture with him. I really appreciate that. Cowtown Bob has texted in. He says, hey, Reed, I enjoyed the last two evenings where you and your amazing guests celebrated the life of Joey Moss. We should all be proud to live in a country where mentally challenged people can be revered in their community and provide happiness for their fellow citizens. It was very uplifting to take in all the love that emanated from your show. Thanks for doing that. Cowtown Bob, I, I am honored to read that message from you as well. And that that's really cool. And I, I, I touched on that uh, last night with Craig Simpson and brought it up a couple of times. Joey Moss had Down syndrome. That was part of his story. That wasn't the entire story. And I, and I think that's 
that's important to recognize that uh, that he he was included. He earned his inclusion. He earned his place with the Oilers, with the Double E, and quite frankly, as a legend in, in our city. So that's really cool. Jason Smith, former Edmonton Oiler, remembers Joey. Being around Joe and, and having an opportunity to to spend years with him was was very special. I think uh, what he brought to uh, the Oilers organization as well as the uh, the football team uh, was very special. And to to be um, a part of watching him uh, watching him grow and I think uh, what he passed on to to us all was how positive life is and you know there, there's never a bad day when uh you're doing things that you love and and that was something that was uh one of the greatest memories of joe was just his positivity and, and how he uh how he went about his, his daily business and uh wish his family the best and all the fans and uh support that he, he's gotten from from around the country is uh very special and and something that uh it's great to see him recognized for uh, the legend that he was. A little bit there from Jason Smith. He was on a Zoom call today with Ryan Smith and Sam Gagne. Sam Gagne, a two-time Edmonton Oiler, and he recalled his first time meeting Joey Moss. I think, um, you know, my first memory of Joe, um, uh, it, it, the first kind of inter-squad game every year is the Joey Moss Cup, and he comes out and sings the anthem. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I hadn't, uh, you know, being a young guy and, uh, not being around, I, I, I didn't know much about him. And then you see, he comes out and just belts both anthem, both anthems and, you know, in front of all those people and there's, there, there's no fear in them. And, uh, you know, you look around and the guys that have, have been around him a little more and had been around the team and you, you can just see them beaming with pride that they're, you know, friends with Joey and, um, you know, I, you kind of know at that moment that you're part of something special and, uh, you, um, you, you know, you're, you're just really, it's relishing the opportunity to get a chance to get to know Joe. So I think it was funny for me. Uh, I came in as, you know, an 18 year old and, uh, you know, I think the, the older guys would give it to me and Joe picked up on it, I think, as a, <laughs> and he was, he used to just give it to me all the time. And, um, I, I lived for that banter, uh, coming into the room, uh, in the morning and just seeing Joe and, you know, having a coffee and just, uh, you know, it, it was just, a, it was the best times ever. Uh, it's something I'll, I'll cherish forever. And, uh, it was just a ton of fun. Of course, you know that Joey Moss, you, you knew this before he passed away, loved professional wrestling. I remember his uh, 50th birthday. The Oilers got him tickets to go see WrestleMania that year. Joey loved wrestling. I referenced last night that I was looking on Instagram and Odell Willis, who used to play football here in Edmonton, posted a video from 2015 of he and Joey having a bit of a wrestling match in the double E locker room. George Larac used to wrestle with them. I, pretty much everybody had to wrestle with them. That included Sam Gagne. I remember the first time it happened. So he, um, he, he'd have his own walk-in music, right? We play kid rock or whatever. And he'd walk in and the whole room would boo him. And, and he would, he, 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 like, he loved being the villain when it, when it came to the wrestling matches, right? Like I couldn't believe it. Like everyone's booing Joey, but he loved it. You know, he just, he, he relished that. Um, and then, you know, the fight got going and he was so into it and, you know, he was going, um, 
he's going to the side of the room, like tapping out, like like saying he had the rope so you couldn't get him. And there, was just, there were so many different matches that he had that, uh, you know, were just so much fun. And like you, you prepare for it the whole week. I mean, somebody told me the first day that I uh, – that I had to wrestle him. It was my, my, my first year plan. And I was like, oh, I, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, okay, let's do this. So I remember coming to the rink and I had these, um, my, uh, one of the billet moms in London made me these uh, London Knights boxers that I played junior with. I had my number, the London Knights logo on them. And I thought they were cool at the time, but obviously they weren't. And, um, Joe comes out for the wrestling match and all he's got on are these boxers, my boxers. Someone had gone into the, the Your boxers. my boxers and Joe's, Joe's wearing them. And I'm just like, Oh, are you kidding me? And, uh, he, he loved it. He thought, he thought it was the funniest thing ever. And he, you know, he was, he was laughing at me after it was just, it was a great time. And, um, one of my favorite things was every time he would lose, uh, he would fake an injury. So he'd be limping out of the room. He'd go to the trainer's table and say, oh, my, it was my leg. You know, like that's the only reason I didn't win or whatever. And then 10 minutes later, he'd be completely fine. So it was, uh, you know, those, some of those memories, um, you know, just talking with some of the guys about it. It's just, you know, things that you'll remember forever and uh, just really put a smile on your face. And um, it's just, you know, such a fun time in our lives. Ah, that's a good one. Sam Gagne with his uh, memories of going head-to-head with Joey Moss in wrestling. I think several players who came through Edmonton have a similar memory. That was a really good story. James texts in. He says, uh, Reed, now that I've had a couple of days to think about it, every player who went through the Oilers organization may not have left a better player, but as a better person because of Joey's wit, humor, wisdom, and his work ethic. James, awesome text. Great message there for sure. We're going to be remembering Joey Moss for, for a while. For, for for a long time um you know a lot of speculation about how he will be honored and i think there'll be will be uh more it'll be in more than one way of course right now if, if you if you feel like you want to do something um we, we had uh, Sue Gilchrist on the show last night from the Winifred Stewart Association. You can just Google Winifred Stewart, go to their website. You can donate to the Joey Moss Foundation if, if you feel like you'd like to uh, pitch in. That's a, that's a be a great contribution on your part. It is 620. We're back after the break. community is mourning the loss of Joey Moss. He was a longtime equipment training room attendant rather for the Edmonton Oilers. Now Joey had Down syndrome and was a shining example for inclusivity. He was actually recommended for the job by Wayne Gretzky in the 1980s. Wayne was dating Joey's sister. He saw him working at a bottle shop and was like, wow, this kid's got really good work ethic. And Wayne, the players, the entire city of Edmonton really embraced Joey, reminding us all that people with disabilities have an integral role in our society. So thank you, Joey, for being a friend and inspiration to so many. Joey Moss being talked about everywhere. That was ESPN hockey writer Emily Kaplan mentioning Joey Moss on Around the Horn today. Pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Known around the league, which is uh, which is awesome. Best known right here in Edmonton. Tyler writes in tonight. He says, I'd like to see 118th Avenue near the Coliseum named Joey Moss Way. Can you imagine standing at the corner of Joey Moss Way and Wayne Gretzky Drive. How absolutely cool that would be. That is from Tyler. Tyler, that's a cool suggestion. 
Actually, there have been a lot of great suggestions over the last couple of days. I mentioned last night, I, I haven't uh, read a whole bunch of those on air. I was kind of sticking to a lot of the memories and just how you were all feeling about losing Joey and his life and his legacy. Uh, but I, well, we can discuss, uh, you know, a little bit as we move along here, what you might think appro- be appropriate. And uh, I, there was a great suggestion the other night about Joey's seat at Rogers Place, perhaps never being occupied. No one ever sits in it again. And after I said that last night, somebody wrote in and said, well, what if that seat was given to somebody uh, with Down syndrome every game or somebody with special needs? That's a pretty cool idea as well. Lots of things to consider Unfortunately, uh, you know, we're not going to have uh, quite the uh, the celebration of Joey's life, at least in terms of a public gathering as we move through the pandemic. But I am confident it's going to happen someday and uh, it's going to be awesome. And there are going to be many, many ways around the city, really around Alberta, that Joey is going to be remembered. Thanks, uh, everybody, for, for sharing some of those thoughts. Uh, Colton says, uh, hey, Reed, it's your favorite tractor driver here. Did you ever wrestle Joey? And if not, would you have? Oh, Colton, I I didn't I I you know what, Colton, I I prob I probably wouldn't have because I I I wouldn't have known if that was appropriate for for me to interact with Joey that way in in a dressing room full of media and players. I I didn't really, unfortunately, I I didn't really get to know Joey that well. I, I think in my tenure. Um, you know, seven years doing this job uh, and, and a couple of years before that where I would occasionally go into the Oilers dressing room. Um, you know, there's a little bit more of a divide between, I think, the media and the players and the personnel than there used to be. Uh, you know, and as we know, the last couple of years, uh, unfortunately, Joey, uh, Joey wasn't doing great all the time and, and he wasn't around as lot. So when I would see Joey, it was, it was usually pretty quick. Uh, it was usually a quick hello. I did get the the, the, he'd give the media the, the five minutes, you know, you got five minutes, then you got to get to get out of the dressing room. So I, I did get to experience that a few times, but yeah, Colton, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I would have wrestled Joey. I think I would have been a little too uh, tentative and, and taken aback to know, to know how to handle that moment. But clearly you know, a lot of the players got on board with it over the years and, and they had a lot of fun. Yeah. We're going to keep, of course, talking about Joey Moss uh, throughout the show tonight. And I'm sure uh, for the rest of the week and in, in the days to come, remember later on tonight, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A guy who had uh, an incredible view of this great Canadian moment. Here's the pitch on the way. A swing and a belt. Left field. Way back. Blue Jays win it. The Blue Jays are World Series champions. As Joe Carter hits a three-run home run in the ninth inning. And the Blue Jays have repeated as World Series champions. Touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. The great Tom Cheek with the call back in October of 1993. Joe Carter wins the World Series with the home run off Mitch Williams. Paul Molitor was on first base. He scored the seventh run, the winning run. Paul Molitor is on the show tonight. I'm pretty sure he's the first baseball Hall of Famer I've ever interviewed. I can't think of anybody else. He's going to be on between 7.30 and 8, and uh, he's going to be happy to reflect on that 1993 team. Playing for Toronto was a special part of his career. But how about that World Series last night? 
Did the Rays outthink themselves? Should Justin Turner have been out on the field? Jamie Campbell next. I felt very comfortable out there. Um, the way that I scouted them, the way that I, you know, scouted myself um, with everything, I mean, I, I knew what they were looking for. I knew when I was going to switch it up. I knew when I was going to adjust in the game because I knew they were going to adjust their game plan. I mean, when it comes to, you know, understanding that team and what I needed to do to succeed, I was really locked in. All right, that's Blake Snell, who started the game yesterday for the Tampa Bay Rays. He pitched five and a third. He only gave up two hits, was charged with a run. He threw 73 pitches. That's it. And he struck out nine. He struck out nine. But Tampa Bay didn't let him keep working after he uh, allowed a base runner. And uh, that was it. And the Dodgers went on to win the game in the World Series. And then the, their celebration is a cause of controversy as well. A lot to discuss. And to do that, I am pleased to welcome back to Inside Sports, a young man who spent part of his career right here in Edmonton. He's with Sportsnet, Blue Jays Central. It is the one and only Jamie Campbell. Jamie, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? Good evening, Reed. It's nice to talk to you again, man. Hey, remind everybody, what, what years were you in Edmonton again? Uh, I moved to Edmonton in 1993 and then uh, was wooed back to the East in 1997. So I spent four of the best years of my life in Edmonton. Okay. Well, and look, as I'm sure you can imagine, the uh, the absolute uh, number one news story in this city is, is Joey Moss. Uh, heartbreaking and heartwarming is how I've been describing uh, the week. So you were on the sports scene and, and Joey touched everybody uh, no matter when you knew him. And as I said to somebody here in Toronto the other day when we'd heard of his passing who really didn't understand the magnitude of Joey, um, I said, you know, it's fascinating how a very simple association, in this case the association that Joey's family had with Wayne Gretzky, allowed Joey to live the life that we all got to witness um, from afar in many respects. I mean, he was a very well-known person even outside of the greater Edmonton area. And, you know, if you watched enough hockey on TV or enough football, you knew exactly who he was. And um, we laugh sometimes when I get in touch with some of the people that I, I remain in touch with in Edmonton about how, you know, you, you always had to go in with a TV camera to try and get post-game interviews in the Oilers dressing room and ask Joey to turn the vacuum off if you were doing television because of the noise and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, I was very sad to hear uh, about what had happened to Joey. But um, I'm, I guess in hindsight, I'm just so glad that he was able to have such a, uh, a full and impactful life. Yeah, well said, Jamie. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. So many awesome stories about Joey over the last few days. Okay, we got to dive into the baseball. I, I'm going to start here um, first of all, uh, and I'm going to ask you, I'm gonna, Jamie. I'm going to give you the dreaded two part question that we're not supposed to ask <laughs> in the media um, because I, I, I've I've lost track. I know I know you're a fixture there. How many years have you been uh, involved in Blue Jays broadcasts? And during that time. How would you describe the shift 
in analytics in the game of baseball? Well, I'm going on my 16th year as a full-time member of the um, Blue Jays broadcasts, and it's been a very, very subtle change. Uh, And it's very difficult to pinpoint exactly where it happened. I would think that if you if you truly wanted to trace the beginning of what we'll call the analytical age, and believe me, um, analytics has been part of baseball. I mean, long before I even began my career as a full-time Blue Jays broadcaster. But if you really want to um, put a a timeline on it and find out when things really started to get interesting and the and the um, the texture of the game changed dramatically. It might be either a year or two years ago when the idea of the opener was introduced. Um, and I believe the Tampa Bay Rays deserve credit for introducing the opener and utilizing the opener and implementing it into um, their way of competing. And, you know, there are so many of us that call ourselves traditionalists who don't like it. Because what it leads to is what we witnessed last night, and that is a dominant pitcher with one out in the sixth inning um, getting to a point in the game where he's going to face a lineup for the third time, and analytics says it shouldn't happen. Um, if this is 19, I don't know, 67, and Red Shane Deese, the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals, comes out during Game 7 of the World Series and says, hey, Bob Gibson, I don't want you facing... Uh, Detroit for the uh, third time through the order, you know, Gibson would have bullied him off the mound because that's the way it was then. Things have changed. And people can be as critical as they want of Tampa Bay and Kevin Cash for the decision that was made last night. But here's the truth. They have been mapping out games like this since the beginning of the season. Um, and even in years prior. This is the way they do things. So for us to be critical of them suddenly changing the way they do things in the sixth game of a World Series may or may not be fair. Um, I would love to think that Kevin Cash has been around long enough that he could employ, as we like to call it, the eye test and say, boy, this guy, this guy's good. They can't touch him. And as Justin Morneau pointed out last night on the broadcast, as soon as Snell came out, you could you could feel the Dodgers breathe easier, knowing that they didn't have to face them anymore. And so I'm fascinated by the discussions. I'm not a fan of it at all because I like the way the game used to be played. I used to love to watch Roy Halladay go out and pitch nine innings and do so in about an hour and 55 minutes. But the game has changed so dramatically because it's all geared toward finding the competitive edge using mostly numbers and trends and um, trajectories and all of that kind of thing that we may never see it return to the form of baseball that so many of us enjoyed years ago. Jamie, that's an awesome answer. And I, 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 I like, look, analytics is an interesting discussion. There's a lot of analytics in hockey and, you know, sometimes there's a lot of head bashing about it. I, I like, I don't really want to act like I'm on one side or, or the other. And I think we have to acknowledge too, there are some stats that might've been considered out there. They're now just part of the game. Like didn't Brant, Branch Ritchie and the Dodgers start looking at on base percentage because mm-hmm. somebody's finally realized, Hey, a walks as good as a single. And now mm-hmm. everybody talks about on base percentage. So some things do become 
uh, mainstream, I guess, for lack of a better term. But I love how you talk about the eye test, and I love how you talk about the Dodgers being relieved that Snell was out of the game. And that, and that's, I think, where a lot of discussion is coming from fans, maybe fans who didn't watch a lot of baseball until the World Series was on, where it's like, he's got these guys on the ropes, and, and who cares what the numbers tell you? Leave him out there. He's dominating. What's fascinating is this was a mapped-out decision. This was a decision that not just Kevin Cash made, but probably four or five other members of the organization, some of them with very little real baseball experience i'm sure some of them who probably had you know various degrees in 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 at various levels that really had nothing to do with baseball and more to do with say mathematics or whatever it might be so this was not just kevin cash making this decision and what what i found confounding was the fact that they pull this dominant pitcher and they bring a guy out of the bullpen who the easy statistics tell you was not having a good postseason. He had struggled mightily from the division series on, and I'm speaking of Nick Anderson. And if you want to dig out an old statistic, his ERA alone was awful. Um, I think a collective ERA of about five and a half from the start of the division series until that very moment that he came into the ballgame last night. And look, I mean, that's not a deep statistic. That's not... uh, you know, that's not going to tell you much other than that, boy, he has given up uh, quite a few runs in his 12-plus innings of work during the postseason. So, I mean, even using ERA as a judging statistic, I'd rather have a guy coming out of the bullpen with a sub-1 ERA than a plus-5 ERA, right? So I found that decision confusing. They're going to go to this they're going to make this controversial move and pull a starting pitcher out of the game when he is absolutely rolling, or in his words, after he said, um, after the game was over, dominating, and go to a guy who has not had a good postseason at all. I found that very confusing. Jamie Campbell from Sportsnet joining us tonight at Inside Sports as we talk about the final game of the World Series. The story isn't over. Uh, Just reading a story here, Major League Baseball through the commissioner's office is beginning a full investigation into L.A. Dodgers third baseman Justin Turner's actions following the conclusion of the World Series on Tuesday, the league announcing. Uh, Well, he didn't quite finish the game, and then he came back out there and celebrated, and he has... COVID. I mean, 2020 has, uh, I guess, taught us to expect the bizarre. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what are you hearing about this, JB? Here's, here's my take on Justin Turner, and, and I'm going to try and balance this out. Justin Turner, and I can't tell you because I don't have it in front of me how many years he's been a member of that Dodger team. It's probably six or seven. But every year he has been part of that Dodger team. They've gone to the postseason. And in two of those years previous to this, they went to the World Series and lost, first to the cheating Astros and then to the quite possibly cheating Red Sox. So here is a man who has played for a division champion every year he's been in that uniform, has either made it all the way to the World Series and lost or gotten close to the World Series but still lost. So in the sixth game when his team is leading in the seventh inning, he's given everything he possibly can to finally get to the point of, of being able to celebrate a championship, and he's told he has to come out of the game immediately. So I can't tell you, and I'm sure none of our listeners can tell you unless they you know, played professional sports at the highest level and played in a championship game. I can't tell you what it would feel like 
at that minute to be told you have to go into a room and isolate and you can't come out. I can't tell you. Justin Turner was feeling um, enough angst about missing the one celebration that he'd worked a lifetime for that he decided to go against protocol, against the advisement of MLB security, and he went out onto the field anyway. And as somebody said today, if he had stayed in isolation in that room and not gone out and been part of the post-game celebration and the team photo, he would have been considered a hero because you can imagine if you put yourself in his shoes how difficult that would be to achieve all that you've achieved and your crowning shining moment is about to arrive and you're told you have to go sit in some small room. So it's hard for me to be too critical of the guy because I wonder how many of us would have made that same decision. Um, on the other hand, it's a hugely selfish thing to do, a hugely dangerous thing to do, but in a weird kind of way, and I don't want to get too political, it falls right into line with what seems to be going on in the United States in general. I wonder what's going to come out of this, if there'll be any uh, discipline or they just might say, uh, okay, hopefully no harm, no foul. No foul. No, I, but have, did... I have no question he'll be disciplined. Yeah. Because, because my information from what I've heard is that, is that he was told by officials from the Dodgers and officials from Major League Baseball that the second test of the two um, came up negative and by no means was he allowed to return to uh, the dugout, return to enjoying the, the end of the game with his teammates. What, what, what I also find absolutely perplexing is that the commissioner of baseball, who had set down, you know, in conjunction with owners and players, had set down protocol so strictly from the beginning of the season, so strictly that you know, the Miami Marlins, I think, were the first team to miss about a week's worth of games. And then, and then St. Louis went, I think, three weeks without playing a game. So the protocol was observed. For the commissioner of baseball to be informed that one of the players on the field in the sixth and deciding or the sixth game of the World Series is, is a positive and not stop the game as if it was raining, right? As if it was a rain delay. Let's halt the game, figure out what the best course of action is, and then proceed at another date is mind-blowing. And I think when I came on the air and was told about this, I, 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 I couldn't express myself because I thought, why, why in the world would this, this, this sport that had, had so um, tightly controlled its protocol all of a sudden, as they're nearing the finish line, say, well, this is too bad that one of these players has tested positive, but let's deal with it later. Let this game finish. I mean, they put players at risk. Um, it's it's mind-blowing to me. It's absolutely mind-blowing that they didn't stop the game and halt the proceedings right there and then. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced... That if, if Tampa Bay had won that game and forced the seventh game, that seventh game wouldn't be happening until at least next week. So, so why the commissioner, when he was given this information, didn't step in and say, not only does Justin Turner gotta, have to come out of the game and go into isolation, but we need to stop the game right now 
and and basically medically check everybody and only resume it when it's safe to do so because that's what they've been doing all year that's a great point that that's great perspective jamie you've been incredibly generous with your time i want to sneak one more in because it comes from a listener uh dorian has texted in he says uh hey reed fond memories of watching jamie on the tube when he was here in edmonton always uh enjoy seeing him on the jays broadcast as well if you have time can you ask jamie what broadcasters he looked up to when he was Mm. getting into the business there's a good one Oh yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of broadcasters who have Edmonton roots, or certainly were in the area um, during their early years. Uh, Ted Reynolds was a huge, huge favorite of mine. Brian Williams on a national level. Um, Chris Cuthbert, I loved and got a chance to work with uh, over the years. Don Whitman, Steve Armitage, I could name you off at least ten of them. Um, uh, the great Don Chevrier, who just before he passed away, I, I handed over the microphone to him at a game in Tampa Bay one time because I knew he wasn't doing well. And he was the longtime voice of the Blue Jays. And I thought it would be fun for him to call an inning. And uh, Tom Cheek and Jerry Howarth in the early days, I mean, I could probably list you 20 of them. So a, a lot of names that I've, I'm, I'm mentioning there, I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't even even remember if unless they're you know around my age which is 50 plus so um boy it's 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 been it's been so much fun to in in some cases meet some of these men that i looked up to when i was a a whole lot younger and and for them to have or for them to say that in some ways we're contemporaries and, and that's very meaningful to me Jamie, this segment has reminded me that we have to have you on the show more often. And I know you're incredibly busy during baseball, but I hope we can uh, we can find time uh, from time to time. I really appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, Reed, you know how much Edmonton means to me. So anytime you need me, just give me a call. Awesome stuff. That is Jamie Campbell from Sportsnet, host of Blue Jays Central. He was hosting all the playoff broadcasts. Great perspective, man. He was uh, he was excellent talking about Tampa Bay handling the pitcher uh, analytics and the whole situation with COVID and Justin Turner. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three to call or text. It's Inside Sports on Chet. Putting out earlier this week a really cool picture. He was with Wayne Gretzky and he was with Joey Moss. Man, a lot of a lot of great stories about Joey Moss. We've had him throughout the week here on Inside Sports. You heard uh, a really cool uh, tale from Sam Gagne in the first half hour of the show about Joey and his infamous wrestling matches. And of course, uh, we'll be talking about Joey a lot. As we as we move through this, as we move through this, seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Arnie says um, uh, the movie Moneyball is all about exactly what happened in Game Six last night. Yeah, Arnie, that uh, Moneyball is a great book, and, and yeah, of course, then later adapted into the movie. Uh, well, what did we have? Uh, Aaron Sorkin did he write it and direct it? trying to remember on the fly i believe he did brad pitt played billy bean the general manager of the oakland a's art howe play or pardon me uh not art howe philip seymour hoffman who uh who has since passed away played art howe the uh, manager of the oakland a's and yeah moneyball what what billy bean was doing at the time 
was he was saying the Oakland A's don't have as much money as the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox and some of the other teams that were spending a bunch of money. So do we give up because we can't sign players or do we find a way around this? And, and what Billy Bean and the A's d- decided to do was they found uh, some stats or they emphasized some stats that help you win baseball games, but that you teams didn't give out big money contracts for. So, you know, they emphasized some things like drawing walks, like getting on base. They, uh, from what I remember from the book, they took a little bit of, um, uh, they took a little bit of a different look at uh, the impact of, of of defense. I think they said a good defensive player could, you know, he's worth saving a run every ten games or two weeks or something like that. I'm trying to remember a lot of things about the book. Uh, Michael Lewis wrote the book, who also wrote The Blind Side. So, uh, yeah, you're right. That was uh, that book was analytical, but and yet it was also saying, okay, we know these are important stats in baseball, but the Yankees don't pay uh, ten million dollars a year for a guy who uh, walks 120 times, they pay for 40 home runs. So we're going to take the guy who walks 120 times and only hits 15 home runs. But if we get a few of those guys, we think we can generate as much as the same number of runs, especially if they don't strike out as much. Anyway, it's it's a really interesting discussion, but I, I think Jamie said it said it well the la dodgers were relieved to see blake snell out of the game tampa bay gave up an advantage whether analytics told them to do it or not rick lola sure will hop on president of the bc lions when we get back 6 30 chad inside sports with reed wilkins weekdays at six on 6 30 chad